probably did hate Mayo, and we thought it was hate at the time, because these guys are trying to take away our dreams. The Football Pod, live. Thursday, June 2nd, in Castle Bar. Check out otbsports.com forward slash events, and get your tickets now. The News Round, on Off The Ball. With Gillette, for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. Now then, you're welcome along. Monday evening's off the ball. Joe Malloy with you this evening. Mark Lawrenson will join us on the football show. There is now certainly a sense with their better goal difference and three-point advantage. Man City have one hand on the title. Manchester United, meanwhile, find new ways to be truly terrible. Mark Lawrenson on the way after nine. Heineken Champions Cup quarterfinal weekend is always generally the best club weekends rugby of the year. And it delivered once again. Jerry Thornley, Liam Toland on Monday Night Rugby after 8 o'clock. We have weekends uh, GA to reflect on as well. James O'Connor with us this hour to talk Limerick, Tipperary. 53106, the text number. We're at off the ball on Twitter. Richie McCormick, as ever. Hello. Evening, Joe. And Nathan Murphy, come on in. Hello, been a while. How you doing? Evening, Joe. Oh, you had a nice weekend. In fairness, you know how to treat yourself. <laughs> well, Tala on Friday night was glorious for Jamrock Rovers' uh, destruction of Finn Harps, and it just got well better and better from there. I think Nathan Murphy's his, his, his Instagram was a tale all in itself. This is how he rolls: private flight, five p.m. into Liverpool to catch the game. Uh, pretty much, pretty much. I was cutting it fine, as were many Liverpool supporters on that plane, who'd obviously realised that a. Uh, the five o'clock flight to Liverpool for the 7.45 kickoff was about 300 quid cheaper than the uh, lunchtime flight. Uh, so there was a lot of people sweating, as you can imagine, at the airport that the flight would not take off in time. But uh, it all ran rather smoothly in the end and was sat in Anfield at about uh, 10 past seven on Saturday evening in plenty of time. So, mm, yeah, it was, uh, very nice. I don't know if it was a, it was a great game. It was a, it was a very good game for long periods where Liverpool ran out of a bit of steam by the end and... As you say, with Manchester City, three points clear, better goal difference. It's very hard to see City not winning the league. But if they were ever going to lose a game between the end of the season, it was always going to be a shock. Yeah, true. I suppose now the tricky part is, given the goal difference, they need to drop three points and then probably drop another two. So there's four in the goal difference. But if you think about it, City have to lose a game, which brings them back one at least. Liverpool have to win that game, which closes it back to two. But yeah, it'll be a bit of a shootout if Liverpool are to somehow and there was a sense I think at full time and maybe that was Jurgen Klopp's frustration when he was having a go at Antonio Conte and Tottenham's style of play that sense of that was probably it Liverpool had given all they could into chase and they couldn't give much more they'd won a dozen home games in a row you know to keep winning and winning and winning is almost an impossible task unless you are Manchester City Yeah well Klopp is a very entertaining sore loser I find and when we were talking about him staying on Liverpool a few weeks back we did make the point he can be very grumpy so he was asked Richie about Conte's defensive a masterclass I think at Anfield he said I'm sorry I'm the wrong person to ask about this because I don't like this kind of football it's my personal problem I think they're world class and I think they should do more for the game stew on that Antonio I don't think much of uh, your uh, Spurs when Spurs get the ball admittedly it wasn't every two minutes but man they were dangerous and their goal was a thing of beauty I mean what does Jurgen Klopp expect from Conte and Spurs at Anfield yeah he's rolled back in it to be fair uh, today a little bit we'll get to that clip uh, momentarily but yeah like it uh, I don't I don't mind like obviously 
what do you expect? You, you, like they're going to Anfield where, you know, Liverpool hadn't dropped uh, any points since October. They've been imperious and Spurs are still to a degree finding their feet and will probably take a couple of windows before they get up to spec in terms of what Antonio Conte wants out of them. Whether he's there or not is another story. But on the other hand, like I don't mind managers being honest. Yeah. Uh, and I don't mind them being a bit crotchety uh, in the moment, especially when they have the the wherewithal to kind of roll back, like the apologies and the uh, recanting of, of certain things never gets as much play as the criticisms. Uh, that's just the way of the world. But like I've no, I've no problem. Like similar with Hasenhutl, um earlier on the season when there was that line about, you know, oh, we know United don't run back all that quickly. And he was almost castigated for it because... Like he was like, oh, how dare you like undermine the opposition like that? No, just say what you see. It's grand. Just be honest. I'd rather he be honest than than say, oh, listen, Spurs are always tough. We yeah. knew we were going to be up against when they come here. Just say you'd rather see them play better football. Just say what's on your mind. He it wasn't grumpy. A better interview. No, I don't he think he was grumpy. either. It was no. at the press conference, and actually, I've seen a lot of Jurgen Klopp press conferences when Liverpool have won big games where he's been grumpy and he's been tense and he's waiting for the wrong question to defend his side. It was the most relaxed I've ever seen Jurgen Klopp. He was speaking freely. He was speaking honestly. It felt as though he was almost having to fake it because he said at one stage, it's like there's a funeral in the room. It's not over. That he was portraying a sense of positivity for his players, for the supporters, for everybody to give that sense of, well, we still have a chance despite the fact that we were held. So it sort of came out of nowhere, the answer to the Conte question. That's... He had mentioned it in the post-match TV interviews, and as Richie said, he's more or less apologised today because Tottenham did everything right in that game. Mm. Liverpool seemed to run out of ideas watching on the TV anyway, Nathan. Like, and I, I don't so much mean Thiago not finding Alexander-Arnold with that pass where he might do it eight times out of ten, but just in general play. Pretty much last ten, they had resorted to just very average crosses. They weren't finding pockets instant amongst the Spurs defence and I'd have to say you know five minutes out I thought God, they're not going to find a goal here didn't have that feel no not in any way maybe the very last kick of the game when the ball came across to Diaz and you thought he might skip past the defender and smash one into the cop but no they did run out of ideas and the pace that Liverpool were attacking at in those last 10 minutes was just a million miles away from the first 10-15 minutes where the atmosphere was just electric the level of noise the songs that were just been sung constantly and you thought if Liverpool get an early goal, they could run riot here. But the longer it went on, it felt as though some fatigue kicked in. They used Alexander-Arnold far too much. Didn't seem to make sense that they didn't bring on Origi, considering they just kept pinging balls into the area without a big man in there to get on the end of any of them. And I don't think anyone in the crowd sensed that they were going to get a goal in that last five minutes. And mm. it, it must be hard not to be fatigued, considering the week they have and the months they've had and the teams that play at that level it's all about speed like everything at that level is about the pace that you can do it at because you're going up against exceptional defenders Christian Merrow is one of the signings of the season Eric Dyer gets a lot of stick but is picked by every single Tottenham manager like Ben Davies the way they threw themselves at that ball like they played five at the back so if you're if you're one or two percent off if you're that little bit slower as I think they were mm. they were a bit slower to get Alexander on the ball he was a bit slower to cross it in and then it's easy for world class defenders like Tottenham have to clear their lines and I actually think that Thiago cross probably summed them up because that cross was on for about two seconds before he actually went with it and that's why Alexander Arnold I think it was Alexander Arnold had just checked back because he thought the cross wasn't going to come and if you're at your absolute peak if you're switched on I, I don't think that happens yeah Eamon and Kildare new rule being introduced 
in the Premier League next season, every manager has to ring Jurgen Klopp and ask him how he wants their team to play against Liverpool. Uh, for across the season says Eamon Inkle there somebody else Klopp should mind his own business uh, fair enough he apologised uh, today but we know how he feels I mean it's a fairly withering view and it's easy when you're a Liverpool manager and you have all these assets to play quote unquote the right way I mean uh, Conte for Chelsea played a brilliant brand of football but you have to do what's right and given circumstances against given opposition we should start the news round because you're starting with some football news of interest Richie the news round as ever brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day so Pearl Man City they need a lift yeah it's fair enough for them Erling Haaland is expected to be confirmed as a Manchester City player later this week the Borussia Dortmund striker has passed medical tests with the Premier League leaders they took place in Brussels today having already agreed personal terms all that's left now is for City to officially trigger his release clause which stands at around 60 million euro Dortmund confirmed earlier today that Haaland had been allowed time off to attend to what they called personal matters it's believed his City wages will not surpass the £375,000 a week paid to Kevin De Bruyne Oh, really? Jeez, I would have thought 60 million quid, Haaland, thought he'd be matching that territory. It's interesting. They said they didn't have the wage structure to bring... Yeah, and the signing on fee would be huge. And, oh, okay. Signing on Yeah, and 375 grand a week is, is hardly <laughs> living in penury. <laughs> we wish him well. Just be sensible with your money, Erling. You'll be okay. So, uh, well, I just can't wait for this guy to rock up into the Premier League and bring on next season already I see I haven't I just haven't seen enough of Haaland week to week I see him in Champions League I watch YouTube compilations but uh, week to week four man city uh, how many points is he worth this season Nathan can't be I mean mathematically he can't be worth that many more because they're <laughs> no, closing in 100 every season perfection it does seem a little bit unfair and uh, like you you see the big games in Europe and you see the highlights and he's an absolute wrecking ball and yeah. his goals per game ratio is insane and it, I found it strange a lot of the analysis of the defeat for Real Madrid of, well, they should have gone and signed Harry Kane last summer. Like, they have the best players in the world in practically every position. Do you need to have the very best player in the world in every position to go and win the Champions League? Like, how anybody is expected to keep pace with them if Haaland clicks? Like, if Haaland comes in and scores the 30 goals that Pep Guardiola expects them to score, like, there is absolutely no chance that Manchester City don't win the league next season yeah so and like Man City did score five goals against Madrid over two legs that was not their burning issue no they switched off for two minutes they created countless chances maybe if he's there they win that by eight goals to four and they played the best brand of football that we have ever seen mm. the, the only glimmer for the opposition is that he has had some injury issues and maybe if you get a few in the first few weeks of the season it's hard to get into a rhythm but the amount of chances that Manchester City create I'll be interested does he spark a change in game plan do they look to create even more to get the ball into the box a lot quicker than they have at times because yesterday I was on commentary and it's very strange coming out of the Etihad they've just won 5-0 against the Newcastle side who've been transformed over the last few months it didn't even feel like they played well Right, just sort of Mm, got on with it They, they, they have a such a high bar of brilliance that like they make they make that excellence seem quite mundane at times they just retain possession so well they never take a risk and i think when people look at the Eti- atmosphere at the Etihad which I thought was was good yesterday particularly when they were looking for that early breakthrough that there's the rhythm that they play with it's so different say to the rhythm that liverpool play with there's very few uh, winning second balls it's yeah. just constant possession that it's hard to get the crowd up on their feet because just relentless mm. passing. Even a lot of players, it feels like playing within themselves almost. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, well, Haaland um, 
is due to sign. The talk of the weekend, obviously, was that Paul Pogba is available on a free transfer and Pep seemingly interested. Like there was a, a debate between Jamie Redknapp, Mick Richards and Jamie Carragher over the weekend. And Carragher was saying, not with a barge pole. Don't go anywhere near him. Whereas Richie Redknapp and Mick Richards were saying, like, free transfer, all that talent. Why wouldn't you welcome him in? Yeah, I think the received wisdom today is that it's not happening. And my first thought was when this story uh, appeared on Friday night was that somebody was was playing silly buggers somewhere because it just it doesn't make it wouldn't have made any uh, sense at all. Um, but wherever he does pitch up next, and it appears it probably will be uh, back in the continent, like he does certainly have a point to prove. And on his day, uh, which he hasn't shown all that often, um, he is very 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 good midfield player and I don't think there's, there's any doubting that the, the frustration for him will be now wherever he does go next is that there is this sense that he's actually wasted his prime um, he spent the past six years at Manchester United and, and between a, a concoction of himself and the, the mess that the club is in it's been a perfect storm for him to just do absolutely nothing Yeah, and that's not something that a, a player of his stature and standing, whatever you might think of him, once on their CV, once they retire, is that they had this six-year scene missing because that's what it is at the moment. You probably want to start like a train when he, wherever he goes next. It'll probably be PSG. It'll be, probably be uh, somewhere that can afford those kind of wages. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past him to have a dynamite season next year. It no. just certainly won't be at Manchester City. No, it's true. So no Premier League this evening. There is football here at home. Yeah, just a solitary point separating the top two who are both in action tonight in the SSC or Tristy Premier Division. Leaders Derry City welcoming St. Pat's to the Rhyme with Bride Brandywell. but kickoff is at 7.45 and there's an 8 o'clock start at Tallow Stadium where Shamrock Rovers, pardon me, face Sligo Rovers and a meeting with Wickham at Wembley awaits the winner of tonight's League One playoff semi-final at Hillsborough. Sunderland hold a 1-0 lead over Sheffield Wednesday after Friday's first leg kickoff also there at 7.45. Now Richie, Bernard Dunn has been talking today. What do we learn? Yeah, he believes he made the right decision to resign his post as the IABA's high-performance director. He stepped down last week following a row over an anonymous review into Ireland's performance in the ring at the Tokyo Olympics. Last week, the IABA expressed their hope that Dunn would change his mind about his resignation, something he told News Talk's Lunchtime Live today won't happen. No, I think I've made the right decision. I think I've made the right decision for the people who I care about. I think I've made the right decision for the athletes, um, for the coaches. Um, and and for my own personal family, so I, I, you know, I've made clear my expectations of the IBA a long time ago, and unfortunately, I am what I am. Any chance you'll go back? I don't see it. No, come here. I'm I'm devastated by it. Um, I love the role. I love working with my working with my team. Yeah. Um, we, we built a great group. Um, we had a great, we had a, you know, we had a fantastic Olympic Games. Um, but again. You know, as much as everything's changed, not a lot has changed, unfortunately. Mm, very telling. One of the problems the IABA has now, Nathan, is that, say, for instance, Andy Lee is identified as the next outstanding candidate. What outstanding candidate is going to look at what's happening over in the IABA over the last half a decade and in some respects uh, far beyond and think, yeah, I'll sign up for that. That, that seems like a good secure number. Yeah, how many months can I survive here before I start being totally undermined and have to follow the path of Bernard Dunn and of Billy Walsh? And I can understand why it's devastating in so many ways for Bernard Dunn because they went, they had a good Olympics. He has given so much throughout his life to Irish boxing and jobs like this are few and far between. Billy Walsh had to leave and go to another continent because to be a full-time professional boxing coach, that's a hard gig to get. So to have had that and to have a 
basically had to resign to have it taken away. Like, where does he go with his career? Does he now have to look abroad as well and make a success there? It's just a complete mess. And unfortunately, amateur boxing, it seems at every level, is a complete mess from Ireland to the wider world, where it's places in the Olympic movement, where it's places in the Olympics going forward. So I'm sure we haven't heard the last of this, but mm. it does seem from the way Bernard Dunn is talking, he's having to make peace with the fact he won't be going back. Yeah. The word is, Richie, that just uh, across a few hours this morning, Leinster have sold 25,000 tickets for Saturday's game against Toulouse. Yeah, it's going to be some atmosphere, but uh, Keen Healy and Jimmy O'Brien are doubts for that game. Both are observing the return to play this week. Sustained head injuries in the win over Leicester at Welford Road on Saturday evening. But Jordan Armour could well be in the reckoning for that game at the Aviva as he steps up his training load this week, having been out since early March with a hip flexor injury. It was an incredible weekend of rugby. Nathan, obviously you were on the flight over to Anfield, so I don't know how much you saw of it, but certainly uh, penalties and rugby never dull that's for sure we had Martin Williams and that snatched kick all those years ago back in 09 I think different format of penalties because I don't think anybody felt that was fair on forwards to be put through that uh, so it was uh, Murray and to his right Healy and to his left Joey Carberry and it was Dupont through the middle and to his right Thomas Ramos and then Intimac a fun moment where Intimac kicks his penalty and puts his hands in the air because he thinks <laughs> well I've won he was under the impression that you only go to the 40 metre mark if you need to if it's required so he thought he'd won and had to promptly apologise to Joey Carberry uh, for celebrating the Toulouse penalty is brilliant Munster penalties uh, less so uh, it's uh, like that is tough for Healy to miss his two kicks to miss the two drop goals he's generally an outstanding kicker you know that's the reason he took the drop goals over Carberry I'm presuming but pressure pressure is just a funny thing in sport and never won't be no, and in such an unusual scenario, at least in football, there's always a preparation in cup games that penalties may come your way. But I think everybody seemed confused as to what exactly was happening because the only memory is of 2009 and everyone thought it might be the same again. And you'd have to assume Munster had prepped and had picked their spots on the pitch that they wanted the three players and they felt that statistically that was the best possible option. And maybe it was just pressure. Maybe if Healy was kicking from the other side, he would have missed as well. Maybe if Murray was kicking from a different side, he would have missed. But it's hard not to go into deep analytical detail as to why they missed at that crucial moment. But it, it was missed kicks throughout the game that ended up costing Munster. It was geez, yeah. seismic to get to that stage, considering all the criticism that everybody has leveled at Munster over the past six months and style of play. But to be able to turn up against one of the best teams in Europe and almost, almost get there. But... Yeah, I'd imagine for a couple of those Munster players, it's going to be a, a long few months. Mm, yeah. I mean, if they played like that across the season, there wouldn't be any criticisms of their style of play. In some ways, it was an inverse of previous years whereby their style of play has been uh, a little bit uh, dull and, and lacking in ambition for too many games. And in fairness to them, against Toulouse, they went for it and brilliant to the breakdown as well scrum cost them for sure kicks cost them for sure Toulouse aren't half bad either and so these are the small margins we'll, we'll chat about the penalties and the, the choice of side for Carberry and Healy with Liam Toland after eight I know he feels maybe uh, the more experienced kicker in Carberry should have been on the more difficult side and, and maybe that applies to the drop goals as well so these are the, the small margins uh, Leinster Toulouse then on Saturday coming will be quite something uh, Leinster seem to be I mean everyone we talk to like firm favourites here Richie like Alan Quinlan this morning on AM reckons they could do a number on Toulouse 15-20 points 
Uh, I wouldn't put it past them because that performance against Leicester on Saturday was was impressive without ever really getting out of third, third gear because you have to consider where Leicester are at the moment. They're an exceptional side, doing really well in the English Premiership and Leinster treated them as if it was a home game against Treviso. You know, it was just, it was not easy, but it was routine, I yeah. think is what probably what you'd say about the manner of the victory. And there's been that sense for Leinster all along the way in this competition. And the worry is that they might come into this somewhat undercooked. Um, but I don't think the standards that Stuart Lancaster in particular uh, puts in place there in the training ground will actually allow that to, to happen. They will... I'd imagine through dint of, of Healy and O'Brien possibly missing out, they might be able to freshen things up and that might be no bad thing for them as well. Um, but that said, like Toulouse have, have gotten back-to-back results on this soil in the last couple of rounds. Mm. Uh, and kind of in a similar way to, to, to Real Madrid, you kind of are spurred on by history in a competition that you have you know, such a good record in. Sometimes it can be a burden for certain sides and sometimes it can be a motivating factor for others. And I think there's yeah. certainly that aspect with Toulouse that they do, when it matters, turn up. And by God, they have the players to be able to turn up when it matters. It's just that Leinster do seem a step above pretty much everybody else. And even looking at the other looking at the other side of the draw, whomever they face at that Stad, uh, Stad, uh, sorry, Racing and uh, La Rochelle tie. Um, I was going to say Stad Rochelet because I'm a big francophone. Um, whoever comes through that one, you'd imagine Leinster probably have to beat with them as well. So it's, it's just a matter of when the coronation is going to happen. Well, on paper for sure, that is Oof. the feeling. By the way, the Teddy Tama try over the weekend, if you haven't seen it, a quick YouTube is worth your while. It was a thing of genius genius and I don't use that word lightly phenomenal finish so uh, yeah Ron O'Gara still lurking there <laughs> and Will Skelton hanging out waiting for uh, Leinster potentially in a final so you mentioned you had some Klopp speaking today for us yeah uh, the Liverpool manager doesn't believe he says Pep Guardiola's assertion that the whole of the country of the United Kingdom that is wants the Merseysiders to win the Premier League title the Manchester City boss said everyone supports Liverpool including the media after his side returns to the top of the table with a 5-0 thrashing of Newcastle yesterday Klopp addressed Guardiola's claims while also rolling back on comments he made regarding Tottenham style of play after Saturday's drawn game in Anfield massively influenced by the game by the situation and stuff like this so I said and I, would I say it again no but I said after the game, yeah, they play like they play and are still only fifth. Yeah. So it felt good in that moment, but anyway, wrong. So, um, so, uh, but it was just my feeling in that moment. Eh? So, and I couldn't respect Antonio more and, and, and what he's doing and my God, how he organized teams and all these kind of things. Yes, but after a game like this. So, and now I don't know exactly in which situation Pep was when he then. After getting out of getting knocked out of the Champions League, that's obviously already difficult enough to to take. But then, of course, Liverpool made it to the final. Eh? Uh, then you have these kind of things. Yeah, but they played with Real and we played Real and all these kind of things. And um, and then you say what you say. And he's right. On top of that, I was right with Pip Place and, and Tottenham still. That and and he was right. We won the Premier League only once. I have no idea if the whole country is supporting us. That I don't know that. Um, uh, it's not the feeling I get, actually, when we go to other places and play there. It's actually the opposite. But, um, yeah, maybe he knows more about that than me. <laughs> I think of the floating fan, though, between City and Liverpool, most across the UK and probably here as well, aside from you know the large quotient of Manchester United fans <laughs> who probably hate them both equally. Uh, my sense, Nathan, would be most football fans across the UK here would prefer Liverpool to City for a variety of reasons, no? Uh, I think the main one being that 
they want a title race and they want drama and they want somebody to be, to be able to compete with Manchester City because if it wasn't for Liverpool over the last few years, Manchester City would be doing what Bayern Munich have done in Germany and just utter dominance. So, And I also don't think that there's any great sense against Manchester City. I don't think they're a club that sparks any great emotion from supporters of other clubs, mm. uh, any deep hatred for their dominance, the way, as you say, they would have been towards Manchester United from Liverpool supporters when they dominated for 20 years or the other way around as quite quickly comes around when Liverpool start having a bit of success. But I, I think people want to see exciting football and I think probably wanted to see a Liverpool-Manchester City final because of the quality of the games that are there. But listen, these managers are the centre of the sporting universe for 90 minutes. We, we see what they put into it on the sideline. They start talking after a game. There's probably a little bit of gibberish. They've got something in their head. They get it out there. It's absolutely everywhere the next day. And it's, it's a bit of a distraction uh, ploy as well. Does it really mean anything? I, like, does it affect Manchester City that maybe they're not feeling the love? Maybe they're not feeling the love. Like yeah. They've been one of the greatest Premier League teams. They're on the verge of six titles in the past decade. Maybe they do deserve a lot more love, but I think they have a huge amount of respect. Like Everybody looks at City and says they're bloody brilliant. Mm. They just... Like they're so effortlessly brilliant that they don't provide the drama that other teams do. Yeah, almost akin to your point yesterday, 5-0 and yet it doesn't prompt any real visceral reaction the way Liverpool so often do. Rich, we're talking GA in a few moments, so we might just, if you could, skip down. Uh, Martin Keimer, the latest to say 25 million, guaranteed 100 yeah. grand. That sounds good to me. Yeah, the latest big name player to request their release to play in the Saudi-backed LIV Golf Tour. The German is a former world number one, of course, and a winner of both the PGA Championship and the US Open. Keimer was a vice captain to Padraig Harrington at last year's Ryder Cup, and his move to the Saudi money will close the door, it seems, on future captaincy of the European team. By the way, allied to that, um, Phil Mickelson is still listed in the field, I see, uh, for the PGA Championship, as is one Tiger Woods. He sure is. And uh, Nathan, at this rate... At this rate, there is a chance that I will be European Ryder Cup captain and I want to offer you the role of vice-captain with a view to you taking it well, the, uh, you. two years after me. You, you go to US soil. I feel like you're, you know, you, you, you're, you're made for US soil. I'll be home captain. Uh, I, I, feel, uh, <laughs> I feel you'd be Nick Faldo and I'd be Paul McGinley and I would quit about six months beforehand but then go on to be a is successful that, captain myself. Is that right? Okay, interesting. Uh, so, Keimer is one of several potential slash probable future European uh, team captains who has now uh, jumped onto the Saudi League. And and for the DP World Tour, the European Tour as it was, the Saudi League is a much bigger threat to the DP World Tour than it is to the PGA Tour. And Keith Pelly, the CEO, wrote a letter to all European Tour players just a couple of weeks ago saying, listen, this is an existential threat to us. This Saudi business is, is serious. He wasn't even making the ethical argument. It was more about just what a, a threat it is to the European Tour and, and one of the few one of the few uh, cards the European Tour authorities have to play is to take away European captaincy from I don't know who I mean Lee Westwood Poulter now Keimer uh, a couple of others all interested Sergio Garcia Sergio Garcia might have seen his comments over the weekend oh, where he yeah. had a rules violation and started ranting and raving at the referee I can't get, wait to get out of this tour can't wait for a few weeks I'm going to never have to play in this tour again why'd you make it that, so, that just, like, he ah, but that's that's in keeping ah. with Sergio's entire petulant career it's strange for, for all he has done in a negative manner and there has been so many that people still have a, a, a warmth towards Garcia that they can never quite figure out it's, it's obviously his success with Europe at the Ryder Cup yeah but nobody has been given more 
more leeway uh, for listen going all the way back to the comments about Tiger Woods and listen the greed is there these players are all in their 40s they see a chance to make a quick buck knowing that they're not going to compete massively over the next couple of years and it's happening like that is the biggest shock here we started week on week on Golf Weekly have tracked this for probably six months looking at it saying it's never going to happen it's never going to happen and now we're a month away and some of the more experienced players in the world are going to play but also as I listened to a podcast last week with Matthew Southgate, his real journeyman pro, saying, actually, all these players and all Saudi need to do is offer money to the young players. So put on a qualifying school and offer massive money for it. And suddenly the best young players, best amateurs under 25 will start playing there. And quite quickly, you've got yourself a tour that can compete with the very best. So it's happening. It's not ideal. And it will have massively damaging effects, it seems, for the European Tour. Uh, Phil Mickelson is going to get a full hour on Golf Weekly this week uh, following the latest excerpt from Alan Shipnuck's autobiography. Oh I presume God, you've seen this. Dear well, God. So, so I, according to Shipnuck's book, uh, Mickelson, always talked about in, as, as, a, as a gambler, lost $40 million in just a four-year period. Where, which, which is basically breaking even, it turned out, when they went into his... Uh, earnings. He earned about 80 million, but Phil was still living in California, so he had to pay tax. He's now left California. His love of San Diego. He's uh, up in sticks and going to Florida, where he'll have a much more favorable tax rate. But 40 million loss. Yeah. Not just gamble, the 40 million loss in the space of four years, uh, which I think suggests. Uh, you know the midlife crisis that Phil is going through that he seems intent on taking all of golf down with him you can no. see the reasons behind it no that's a problem like I could just couldn't believe that so um, there's a lot going on behind the scenes I think with Mickelson fellas we are out of time Richie McCormick thank you chat to you tomorrow he's out Nathan Murphy thank you cheers Joe